Well, Merry Christmas, church. Thanks so much for being with us in person today. Thanks for being with us online today. Uh, my name is Mike, one of the pastors on staff here, and uh, we are glad to have you with us today as we are in uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent, really our final Sunday in our series that we've entitled The Miracles of Christmas. Now, I've, I've got a confession to make. After first service, which was packed out, uh, there ain't nobody left to come to church. And we tore down seats. <laughs> that didn't work out so well for us. All right, so if you're in the back and you're all cramped, um, all the kids that were here for both services have cleared out, and there's all these wonderful seats right here in the front. <laughs> all right, close enough to get spit on and everything. So if you want to make your way up when we're praying, you can do that. If you're like, nope, I'm going to stay in the back. It's safer. That's fine, too. So um, but what we're doing in this series is uh, each week we're looking at a different miracle, an event where God steps into a world governed by natural law and impacts time and space and history and science to accomplish his purposes therein. And we've been specifically looking at the miracles of the first Christmas and just exploring together how those miracles are still so relevant to our lives this Christmas. So let's take a minute and pray, invite God to be part of this time with us, and then we'll get after today's miracle, the miracle of the manger. Father, we just thank you for time to be together, for time to explore how you broke into our world, how you brought glory to yourself and hope and life and peace for us in the midst of that. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts in this time and that we would hear truth from you in whatever way as individuals we most need to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's a, a phrase that gets thrown around this time of year if you're kind of the person who runs around in church circles. And it's thrown around, I think, in part because you have folks who feel like uh, Jesus is kind of getting pushed to the margins of Christmas. The phrase is simply this, Jesus is the reason for the season. Aha, uh -huh. so we got some of you out there. <laughs> All right? Now, some people say this, and they, they, they mean it. Some people say this, they get kind of smug. Some people say this, they even get a little bit aggressive, right? Um, here's the deal. I really do think Christmas is about Jesus. But I, I think the reason I would say Jesus is the reason for the season, it all has to do with who Jesus is. See, there are different versions of Jesus that we are presented with every day. And some versions of Jesus, you can do Christmas without. And others, like, everything centers around who Jesus is. And so today we're going to spend some time just kind of wrestling with this idea of who is Jesus. And we'll look at the Jesus that our culture presents us with. And we'll look at the Jesus who we meet in the manger nearly 2,000 years ago for the first time. We'll, we'll acquaint or reacquaint ourselves with both of these Jesus. Now, the Jesus who our culture introduces us to, there's a number of things that we know about him. For starters, you, you can turn on PBS or the History Channel or listen to modern American academia, and you will get the same thing. We are told on a regular basis that Jesus was a real person. You, 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 there's enough historical evidence where you can very easily demonstrate that a man named Jesus was born, that he walked the earth, and that he died. The historicity of Jesus isn't questioned by serious historical scholars. 
He is a real historical figure. Not only so, but our culture will tell us that the Jesus, that, that, that Jesus was a moral teacher. Again, you just study history. The teachings of Jesus served as a foundation for forming nations. The teachings of Jesus brought empires to their knees. The teachings of Jesus, they shaped culture for centuries. Now, you may like, you may dislike what Jesus taught, but you can't get around the fact that he was a moral teacher. And our culture will tell us that Jesus was some kind of prophet. Whether you're referring to Hinduism or, or Mormonism or Islam or other world religions, they all acknowledge that Jesus came claiming to have some kind of message from God. Even the most secular sections of our society today recognize a significant spiritual component to this person of Jesus. So the, the Jesus our culture introduces us to, he's not a bad guy. He's, he's a real person, he's a moral teacher, he's a prophet. But that's it. Jesus is a person, a human being like you and me, but that's all. Jesus taught about morality, but that's all. Jesus, he claimed to have some kind of message from God, but that's all. That's all he is. And, and when you think about it, if that's all Jesus is, you can do Christmas with or without Jesus. This version of Jesus, you don't need him for Christmas any more than you need Joseph Smith or Gandhi or Buddha or Muhammad which is perhaps why Jesus is getting pushed further and further to the margins of Christmas in our culture today. But this is the Jesus who our culture introduces us to. Now, the historic Christian church introduces us to a very different Jesus. It's a Jesus who we meet in the manger nearly 2,000 years ago, a Jesus who we meet in the Bible. And different biblical authors introduce us to Jesus in different ways. And if you've been tracking through the series with us, we talked about who Jesus is just a little bit a couple weeks ago from the perspective of the writer of Hebrews. Today we're going to look at a different biblical writer who speaks to us about who Jesus is and nuances it differently. We're going to look at what the Apostle John says to us about who the Jesus in the manger is. Because really of all the different biographers of Jesus' life, John highlights the miracle of the manger, this idea that in Jesus, God is stepping into time and space and history and accomplishing his purposes therein. John highlights the miracle of the manger more than any other biographer of Jesus' life. Now, John's a little bit poetic, and so when he introduces us to Jesus, he refers to Jesus as the Word. And he begins like this. John says to us, in the beginning was the Word. Now, John is also Jewish. And so when John says to us, in the beginning, John is referring, he's trying to get us to think way back to the very first verse we read in the Old Testament, Genesis 1.1, that tells us, in the beginning. A verse that refers to a period in time before the created order existed. A, a time before you had any created thing or being material or spiritual. So John says to us, hey, before there was anything, before there was anyone, you had Jesus. And then as John continues, he says to us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. There in Genesis 1-1, you have in the beginning God. 
Before the, the existence of anything, anyone, material or spiritual, you have the eternal, self-sustaining God of the universe. And with him, you have Jesus. And then, as John finishes his sentence, he, he articulates for us the logical conclusion about who Jesus must be in light of what he said so far. He tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, the Jesus who we meet in the manger, he is so much more than just a real person. In the manger, we have more than just a historical figure. Instead, we are introduced to God with skin on. Now, John continues to introduce us to Jesus. This is what he says next. He says, he, he being Jesus, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. How many things were made through Jesus? All things. He says, without him, nothing was made that has been made. How many things were made without Jesus? Nothing. Nothing. John, John has this idea that anything, anyone, material or spiritual, they were made through Jesus. That nothing in the totality of the created order exists unless it existed through Jesus. Which means, logically speaking, Jesus is an uncreated being. A designation that, biblically speaking, is reserved for God alone. See, in the manger, we meet more than somebody who just claimed to speak on behalf of God. In the manger, we have more than just a prophet. Instead, in the manger, we meet the source of all creation. Now, if that's not enough, John continues And as he does, he says this about Jesus. He says, in him was life. John says, in him was life. He's saying that Jesus possessed what it meant to be alive. Not just physically alive, but emotionally, spiritually, existentially alive. Jesus possesses that. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines into the darkness, and the darkness has not been overcome by it. Throughout his literature, again, John's this poetic kind of guy, and he uses terms like light and darkness to represent good and evil. When John tells us that that Jesus is the light of all mankind, John's telling us, hey, in Jesus, we have more than just some philosopher whose ideas about how to live our lives are worthy of our consideration. No, in Jesus, we have both the one who exemplifies and gives us from his own person the standard for morality that implies to the entire human race. In Jesus, we don't just have a good moral teacher. We have the standard for morality for all of humanity. This is who John introduces us to, the Jesus in the manger. Now, after introducing us to this Jesus, John then tells us about 
two responses that people have had to the Jesus of the Major since that first Christmas. John describes the first response this way. He says, the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, again, the Jesus our culture introduces us to. Not a bad guy. He's kind, he's loving, he's winsome. He's good to have around in a pinch. The Jesus our culture introduces us to. He's safe. He'll make no demands. He'll issue no ultimatums. You can take him, you can leave him, and he's good either way. Not so the Jesus who we meet in the manger. He's good, yes, but he's not safe. The Jesus we meet in the manger is God come to us with skin on. He is the source of all creation. He is the standard for morality for the entire human race. And as such, he demands our loyalty and obedience and worship. And since the first creation... There are some who prefer the soft, malleable Jesus of our culture, the safe Jesus, over the one who they meet in the manger. And though the world's made through him, though he came to the world, they refuse to receive him, to, to acknowledge that he is who John says he is. They reject him as the Savior of their soul and the Lord of their lives. No thank you, Jesus in the manger. I'll take the one the culture offers. This is the first way that John describes the response that people have had to the manger Jesus since that first Christmas. But John goes on and he gives us the second response. He says, yet to all who did receive him, to the ones who believe Jesus really is who John says he is, to those who believed in his name, to those who recognize, hey, I've been walking in darkness, I need a savior, someone, someone who's going to show me the way, who's going to make right what I've made wrong and cannot fix myself. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who've had faith in Jesus, God adopts them into his family and makes them his children. Since the first Christmas, every Christmas, People have responded to the Jesus in the manger in one of those two ways. They either reject him or they receive him. They either say, you know what, I'll take the safe, malleable Jesus over the one in the manger. Or they receive, they embrace, they believe in the Jesus who John has described to us. And the second response, it changes the very nature of Christmas for us. You, it changes the very nature of Christmas for us. If Jesus really is who John says he is, if he is God come to us with skin on, if, if he is the source of creation, if, if Jesus is the, the standard for morality for all of humanity, 
I mean, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. And when we embrace Jesus as these things, then that first Christmas and every Christmas thereafter, it becomes about remembering and celebrating that in that first Christmas, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. If Jesus really is who we meet in the manger, you, you can't possibly have Christmas without Him. So, as we continue this morning, we're going to sing together. But before we do, I want to pray. And if this Christmas, you have yet to have received Jesus, to have believed in his name, but this Christmas, you're ready for Christmas and what it's all about to change, I want to invite you to pray with me. To just have a quiet conversation in your heart where you just agree with God that you've walked in darkness, that you're broken, that you've sinned, that you're powerless to do anything about that yourself, to put your faith in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, to surrender all of who you are to him, and to be adopted into the family of God. Let's pray together and then we'll worship. Father, we just thank you for the miracle of the manger. We thank you for Jesus. Father, for some of us today, we're ready for Christmas to be something radically different. Today, we want to just acknowledge, we want to agree with you that we've sinned, that we've gone our own way, and we've made a mess of things, and we can't do anything about it. Today, we want to put our faith in Jesus the life he lived to show us the way, the death that he died to make right what we had made wrong. We want to put our faith in his resurrection that proves everything he taught and promised is true. We just want to surrender ourselves to following him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.